What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. Happy New Year. First podcast of the new year. Friday, January 3rd. Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. You can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Like the Facebook page at the Mitch Davis Show or find the podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast by simply typing in the Mitch Davis Show. All of our shows are brought to you by S.Y. Wilson, the historic Arlington, Tennessee Depot Square. So be sure you go check them out. They've got all your outdoors needs. They've got your bait, your tackle. They've got SEC apparel. They've got Memphis apparel. They've got everything that that your heart could ever desire there at S.Y. Wilson on the historic Arlington, Tennessee Depot Square. On today's podcast, I've got a very special guest. Emily Van Buskirk, college football reporter. She joins the podcast today to talk about one of my favorite subjects, college football, previews the college football championship game, talks the bowl games, talks a bunch of other just great stuff. So be sure you have a listen to that. want to thank her for coming on to the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Like the Facebook page at The Mitch Davis Show. Or like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Apple Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere you'd like to listen to your podcast, it can be found. I am joined now by Twitter legend and college football reporter Emily Van Buskirk. I said that right? You did, you nailed it. Awesome, awesome. Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. It's the first time coming on. I know, I'm so excited. This, I haven't, this is the first podcast. Let's talk a little uh, of the college football playoffs. You were at the Ohio State and Clemson Fiesta Bowl game. What did you see out of Ohio State first and foremost, and did you expect them to come in there and lose to a Clemson team who hasn't played anybody all season long? That is, I feel like the way you framed that question um, was funny because – that's exactly the beginning of the game, how kind of everybody in the press box and, and everyone on Twitter was talking. You've seen Clemson go down, you know, 10-0, not scoring, struggling to even put together drives. They had first, three first downs, you know, in that whole uh, first half or something like that. But I was never worried. Um, I have covered Clemson a couple times this year, and then obviously I was at the Maddie last year seeing them in Alabama, and there's one thing that kind of sets Clemson apart um, in games like that, that are close and that, you know, maybe there's something that makes Dabo swinging. I mean, Dabo, he is one of the most energetic and just positive people to be around. I know everybody says this, and, and you see him dancing, you see all these clips of him, but there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to rally that team back in, in the second half and, and make it a game. Um, I, I thought from the get Clemson was going to win it just based on the kind of personalities they have on the team. They, they never quit, you know, and then Dabo knows exactly how to inspire those um, talented guys, Trevor Lawrence and Travis um, Etienne. And, and it's not to say Ohio State is not good. They're definitely a good football team, and they have a lot of talent as well. I mean, J.K. and, and, and uh, Chase Young, all these guys, fantastic players, but I think that their coach and Diablo, they're very different. You know, Ryan Day is kind of quiet. Um, I think he's a very intelligent guy. Speaking with him a little bit at the press conference, I was able to see he's very, very smart, very football oriented. 
knows what he's doing, but when it comes down to that energy, that kind of um, X factor that you need to win these big games, I feel like Dabo and Clemson just have that edge, you know? That's why this Clemson LSU matchup is going to be so interesting, because I feel like Ed Orgeron is very much like that as well. Um, so I'm excited for this clash between these two, you know, and those other teams. Sticking with this Clemson LSU kind of feel here, what do you see out of this early, you know, early looking on here? How do you see this game shaping out? And who wins the Battle of the Death Valleys? It's really hard, you know. I haven't even, I haven't even had time to kind of preview it in my own mind yet because it's still like, it's still sinking in um, a little bit. But I've covered LSU a bit, Joe Burrow. I saw one of the funny stories I like to tell is last year when LSU played UCF in the Fiesta Bowl. A lot of people forget about that game because it was, you know, prior to all of this news and, and the legend of Joe Burrow. But I really believe that legend started after that game because not only did they take down the UCF team that had not been beaten prior to that, um, the self-proclaimed national champions, they, they really overcame adversity in that game to be able to win it. And then afterwards, in the press conference, I'll never forget, is when you first saw that cheeky, sassy Joe Burrow, you know, where he, he let him have it. He said, somebody asked him about facing, you know, UCF's punishing defense, and he looked at the reporter and said, we play in the SEC, man. We were not surprised by anything. We play some of the toughest defenses in the nation. So I really just was able to see right then and there that, okay, this guy is that dude, and that's what we're going to be getting next year. So it's been fun to watch his journey. I was at the Heisman. I got to see, you know, him make probably the most incredible speech I've ever seen from a, from a student athlete. Just the wherewithal to talk about where he came from and his town and the poverty and, and just, I mean, I, if he didn't cry during that speech, and I just can't hear it. It was, it was unreal to see such a young man just say things like that and, so, obviously, you've got this great guy, you know, at LSU, and then you've got Trevor Lawrence, who also known for his, you know, um, poise and his cool, complex nature. Very less vocal than Joe Burrow, but two great leaders of great teams. So, honestly, I think the national championship game, and I know this is kind of a cop-out, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to who can make, you know, the least amount of mistakes. Whoever does make those mistakes first, that's, you know, going to be the team that falls. But, um, and I'm curious, you wonder if teams are going to come, they're going to come up, play tight, you know, to guard against that, which is, I think what we saw a little bit in the Ohio state Clemson game is you had to wonder if people maybe were, they, the coaches were going to play them tight just to make sure they're, because they knew turnovers and mistakes were going to be the difference or are, you, are they just going for it and let it go. And it's going to be a track meet first one to the finish line. So either way, it's going to be fun. You've mentioned UCF, and this leads into this next question. A little bit about the playoffs. Are you a fan of expanding this playoff to maybe eight teams and possibly 16, even six, you know, to let a team like UCF last year, the year before that, or let a team like Memphis this year into the playoffs to kind of have their fair shot at this? Are you a fan of that, or do you think we uh, should stick to the four teams? I think you forgot to mention, you know, Oregon or uh, or Utah. You got the Pac-12 there, so... Um, I think that's what you meant to say, so I will I'll forgive <laughs> that. But, um, yeah, you know, this is the thing. I go back and forth. I, I I know that it has to expand at some point to include, you know, you knew when you made sports 
five, you know, five power conferences that there were going to be people left out. And that team has been the Pac, that's been the Pac-12 conference. And this year, I think more than any, we saw an Oregon team. This season kind of started and ended with Oregon. Oregon almost beating Auburn in that, you know, Advocate Classic in, in Dallas at the beginning of the season. And then having this incredible game, you know, against, against Wisconsin in, in the Rose Bowl just the other day. It's hard to imagine after seeing Oklahoma and, and what they did, you know, or didn't do against LSU, how could you leave a team like Oregon out, you know, with Justin Herbert and and the leadership they and the way they play, you know, they would have, in no doubt in my mind, they would have played a better game against LSU than Oklahoma. I'm not saying they'd win, but they would have given it a better game, um, 100%. So in that regard, yes, the playoffs should be bigger, but at the same time, I don't feel that we've seen since the inception of the playoffs enough evidence, you know, to really forcefully say that because there's always been teams that should do well and they disappoint. You know, look at the Georgias, look at the Oklahomas. And until we see the strong enough field of four where it's like, yeah, those four definitely should have been in and then you're looking at the next four, I don't think it's going to be expanded because there's always a team that's disappointing and then you just rotate the team that should have been in there in. You know what I mean? And yeah. until they can prove that it's really strong enough to support eight, then I'm not sure that we'll see a change is the only problem. You know, this is my next question a little bit, and you're a West Coast person, you're used to the Pac-12, but <laughs> is the AAC, because a lot of the American, you know, athletic conference, they're trying to close the gap. They're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. being a power six. Are they there yet? Because it seems like the you know Pac-12 is right on the outside looking in. Is the AAC, has the AAC uh, caught up, per se, to the Pac-12 or a disappointing Big 12 like we uh, saw this year in their bowl games, is that AAC conference really closing the gap? Um, the thing about the Pac-12 that I think makes them so um, misunderstood is that people see this conference kind of cannibalizing itself and, and no true champion ever emerging. You know, like in Alabama yeah. or Clemson, and that's really what hurts the Pac-12 and does it a disservice. But at the same time, I'm working on a story because people don't understand that that the Pac-12 conference, and I'm going to say this, and I say it, I said it to David Pollock, and he and I got in a big fight about this, fight on an hour argument. I said, look, the conference is the best in college football. And then once you say that, people are like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? They don't have Alabama, they don't have Georgia, they don't have LSU. Yes, I'm aware of those things. But what they do have, top to bottom, is teams that can beat each other on any given day. Teams that have better records than bottom teams in the SEC, you know, than in the Big 12, all these other conferences. Washington State is as dangerous sometimes, you know, as Georgia in in the Pac-12. But you're not seeing Vanderbilt ever being that dangerous. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just different. For the ABC to, to get to this level, A, they have to have a top dog, you know, in the fight, which we saw a little bit with Memphis, a little bit with UCF, but they also have to have the teams at the bottom, the UConn. I mean, they finished 1-11. Yeah. They're looking at, you know, Tulsa, 3-9, Navy, 3-10. Not terrible, but, but some of these teams have got to move it up to to make the conference be taken seriously as a whole. And then, you know, you got to schedule. There's the scheduling of better non-conference games, um, and stuff like that. So I think had Houston had a different year, um, it would have garnered a little more respect. Um, Cincinnati, obviously, 
really good year, but you've just got these teams at the bottom that they gotta the conference has gotta pull them up somehow, you know. I tell you what, I think you just won me over a lot of fans in the Pac-12 um, because I normally don't we normally don't talk about the Pac-12 here in the South and in the SEC and territory. Why would you, right? Like, right. Yeah. So I mean, you definitely I'm gonna tell you, you definitely won over a lot of people out there and got me a whole brand new listening okay. fan base. So I I greatly appreciate that um, from that standpoint. But I tell you, those are actually very good points. I mean, when when you actually think about it. And look at it from that perspective because, you know, not a lot of Southerners, not a lot of East Coast people stay up and watch those, you know, Pac-12 after dark games. You know, that's the other part of the problem is like, and I'm working on this article, it's going to come out hopefully next week. And the the problem with the Pac-12 is that you can't respect the conference that doesn't respect itself. And that starts at the top, you know, with our our leader, our fearless leader, Larry Scott, already hates him because he's scheduling... (laughs) It's atrocious. We can't get our games on. You know, the games are on at midnight on the East Coast. We haven't had a Heisman winner, you know, in forever because guys can't see guys play. I mean, the fact that Christian McCaffrey didn't win a Heisman is just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Look at the kid. He's going to be one of the best NFL players ever. And he lost the Heisman because nobody ever saw him play. And, and, and that's what I talk about. And, you know, he's, he's trying to say, well, I watch all these games. And I said, no, you don't. Watch Arizona. You don't watch Oregon State. You don't watch enough of the guys, the teams that make the conference strong that you would never think of. You know what I mean? Yeah, and this actually leads me to this, and and this is totally off the topics that we were going to talk about. But talking of the Pac-12 and AAC, maybe to get that exposure for both conferences, what about maybe five or six of the teams play each other? Maybe Memphis plays UCLA. We've seen that. Cincinnati plays UCLA. Maybe UCF plays Stanford or somebody of that nature. How would you like to see that type of, when we see it in basketball all the time, how would you like to see that kind of AAC versus Pac-12 to get these two, you know, conferences more notoriety? It would be good. Stanford did head to UCF this year. And, I mean, the problem with Stanford and and the problem with the Pac-12 this year is, is when Stanford has a down year, it really affects the conference because they're usually kind of a pinnacle for the Pac-12 in the North. They've been, you know, a strength with Andrew Luck and, and Christian McCaffrey and Barry Sanders Jr. and all these great players and road and bowl appearances. And, um, so when they're down, it, it's not helpful because the people that schedule them, you know, looking for good wins. Stanford did play UCF and they lost. It was one of the worst teams I've ever seen them play. It's just been a year of discord for the Cardinal, but I'm surprised that there's not more crossover given Mike Novell was at Memphis and he was a former Pac-12 guy. Um, uh, I would love to see the, the teams like Washington State, Tulane play. I think that'd be a fantastic game given how they both play football. And um, just people don't don't think about the West Coast, you know, when they're scheduling these games. So there is going to be Utah. I think did a home and home maybe next year with Miami. So we're starting to see now some some respect coming in and, and bigger teams scheduling um, some Pac-12 guys. So I'm excited for, for series like that. You know, Utah playing Miami, that's, that'll be old school, new school clash, you know? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's make the switch over to bowl games. There's been a lot of very weird and very interesting bowl <laughs> games this season. I think you're covering one of those in a couple – I think it was tomorrow, I think is when they play, when you've got Tulane and Southern Miss – battling it out not only for a championship trophy, but also some kind of bell that they used to exchange. What are some of these favorite – what are some of your favorite 
of these bowl games so far? That's a really good question. So I'm going to start with the one last night. I don't know how many people watched it. It was the, the Gator Tax Slayer Bowl. I'm sure you saw it. Tennessee edges Indiana 23-22 in probably the weirdest game I've seen yet this season because it, it just purely because it was 6-3 to three at the half. And it was so boring. I was at the gym on the elliptical trying to work out. And usually watching football gets me like, tons of going. This game, I was like, I got to get off this off the elliptical it's so it's painful <laughs> and then finally you get to the last five minutes and all of a sudden the other is made this huge comeback and oh my god that last five minutes I was watching with my dad he just we couldn't believe some of the play calling the penalties and lo and behold it was a tactical official you know almost ruined the game for everybody so sorry <laughs> about that but welcome to it you know yeah so what we do so that was one of my favorites that I've watched um Minnesota beating Auburn I mean come on that was you gotta love Golden Goat go for Triumphs. That was a fun one. Um, I like Arizona State, Florida State. And I hate the Sun Bowl. I've been a few times, absolutely hate it, but I love Herm Edwards and seeing him get a win over you know Florida State. That was truly incredible. A lot of the ones I went to were kind of boring. The I went to the Red Box, you know, Cal, Illinois, not exciting. I went to the Cheez It Bowl, Air Force. Beating Washington State, not again, not exciting. But uh, luckily, the Fiesta Bowl, you know, it, it gave me the game. I feel like we all deserve. So that was my, that was the best one I've been to. But I'm hoping tomorrow, Armed Forces Armed Forces Bowl is is going to be um, just a grudge match. I'm hoping, you know, for some young very at that game. So I've got to I've got to ask you this because you've been to a lot of bowl games. What has been the, mm-hmm. your absolute all-time, you know, favorite place to go, whether it's a Cotton Bowl or Fiesta Bowl, and what is your least favorite bowl game to go to, whether that's the Birmingham or wherever, Sun Bowl or any of those other great ones? Well, i got to say that from a purely media standpoint, the Cotton Bowl always does the best hospitality, and I want to give a huge shout-out to their committee because they they have the best hospitality room. They they get you everything I need. I remember I was writing my story after the game last year, and uh, I was kind of last person out there writing. And one of the guys brought me a glass of champagne as I'm writing. Like you could not have <laughs> picked a better, you know, thing to do for somebody like me. So they're incredible. They go above and beyond. And then you know, last year was national championship in the Bay Area. You know, where I'm from here, having here at home was great. And I don't know if you remember this, but I actually brought Joey Chestnut, the world champion hustler. To interview Clemson and Alabama players. Okay, I bet that was kind of cool, though. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, he's he's a. I'm sitting at last year, saying, "How am I going to cover this Clemson Alabama game in a way that's different than you know? They play so many times. Everyone says the same thing. You know, what am I going to do?" And and Joey is an old friend, and um, he lives in the Bay Area, so I thought I'm going to take this guy to media day, and I'm going to have him interview the players instead of. You know, just a normal reporter or whatever. I'm going to have a, you know, a pseudo celebrity do it because they all knew who he was. Yeah. And he brought his dogs and they got to take pictures with him. They got to ask him questions, you know, what it takes to be a champion. And I'll never forget Dabo Sunny seeing him and recognizing him and, and kind of going off a little bit about, yeah, oh my God, this is Joey Chestnut. That <laughs> made it such an incredible experience. So that was one of my favorites. Um, Last year, and then you know, I think he's coming out to NOLA again this year, so we're going to try and do a reprise of our of our media day stuff. Um, and then my least favorite bowl has got to be 
Sun Bowl. It's El Paso is just. I know you've never been. Never, I don't think I have any desire to go to El Paso, Texas. Yeah, it's it's pretty rough. We went there. We've been there a couple times because of Stanford, and I remember one year. This is way back, like Toby Gerhardt, you know Richard Sherman era, and we were there. I was there as a fan with my family, and for some reason it was on New Year's Eve. The game. <laughs> this is way back, and so we're all there, and, and they win the game. I think they won. I'm pretty sure, and we're all going out after. And we're at this, like, you know, country club, and Toby Gerhardt's there wearing cowboy boots, and we're, we're hanging out with Richard Sherman and all of them, and, you know, we get in this taxi to go back to the hotel, and it was just real sketchy. Like, there was a certain point, you know, you're very close to Juarez, you're very close to some dangerous areas, and there was a point where we weren't sure we were going to make it out of the taxi, like, home. So, I've heard that they've done incredible things to change it, and it's, it's very safe and all that, but I just... I just remember that being like, yeah, we're not coming back here. So. <laughs> I mean, if, if you think that's bad, you, I don't. I don't think you've been to the fine city of Birmingham yet. Birmingham is no, a. No, I'm not. Uh, let me let me just say this. Let me let me preference this by saying the Birmingham Bowl Committee, they're wonderful people. They're great. The hospitality is awesome, but the city of Birmingham alone is very sketch. Like you, uh, you go to the state, go to Legion Field. Anybody's been there, listening and all that. You get off. You go get off the interstate. And you're literally in a very bad part of town. Like, the fact that, like, they have, like, if you make a side turn, and if there's not cops on the street, you act like your car legitimately might get shot up. So, <laughs> it makes uh, it makes for a very, very interesting time there at the Birmingham Bowls. So, not funny, I think my friend uh, Eric Henry, you know him? I do not, know. He covers um, a lot of Congress USA okay. and, and FIU and all that stuff, but he was there he was texting me for Birmingham, and um, I was at the Fiesta doing their media party, and he texted me and saying they were in some alley in Birmingham, and that was like their their night. <laughs> <laughs> I, ca- I That was actually my first ever bowl game to cover, was uh, Texas okay. Tech in South Florida, pouring down rain. It was like three years ago, pouring down rain, Legion Field. Place, ha- place is old. It's very historic, but it's awesome. But the place has holes in it. You, you're trying to dodge the rain because you can't get back to the press box. Long story short, it got like it went from like 75 degrees to like 30 degrees, and it was just a wow. very very fun time in Birmingham. So, um, but last question for you. I've got one more question for you, and this is a question that I like to ask. You know, all most of my guests. You know, I word it differently and this and that. But if you had to give any advice to maybe a young woman trying to get into the business, I know it's hard with you know, the stereotypes and, and all the crap that you guys have to put up with, basically. What would you tell that young girl who's thinking about, okay, hey, I want to be next Emily. I want to be the next Laura Rutledge. I want to be the next whoever. Put in whoever's name, Holly Rowe, your name, whoever. What would you tell that young girl? I would have two pieces of advice. And, and the first one is, um, is it's kind of a two-parter, but basically one of the – main reason that I'm, I am where I am is because I was able to find a very good mentor. And it was actually a, a male writer who kind of took me under his wing. So I would say, you know, definitely try and meet as many people as you can and look for someone to kind of mentor you, guide you. Don't be afraid to ask questions, to tag along on things. Um, and also just take every opportunity. A lot of I feel like a lot of this new generation of people coming out, you know, because of the way the internet is, they want to start out at the top, but really you got to write for those bottom sites. And I mean, there were times I was writing things that weren't even 
you know, getting published anywhere big and grinding out, you know, bus rides to different games. And it's those, doing those, all those opportunities and all that writing and everything that kind of makes you a person, makes you a better writer to, to take. And you never know which article or where it's published is going to be the thing that leads to the next thing. So don't ever think that anything is too small, um, especially if you have the time to write and grind it out. So I would say that. And then also just to know know yourself and your limitations because as a female, you're going to be put in situations that are uncomfortable sometimes. And, you know, knowing yourself and what you're capable of and what you're comfortable with, that's really what's going to help you out um, in those tough spots is knowing what, what you're about. So too many people come into this industry thinking, you know, they can finesse their way through and that can work to a certain degree, but you're going to run into somebody that wants something from you and you have to know if you're, you know, willing to give that or not and, and how you're going to go about it. So just knowing how to carry yourself and, and what your limits are for, um, for situations, that's kind of just knowing yourself. So, Emily, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is your first ever time, and I'm going to tell you what, you're, you're definitely invited back on. I'll probably have you on after the season to recap the whatever madness happens in the national championship and, of course, your yeah. time in Dallas between the – I don't even know what it's called, the Battle of the Bell between Southern Miss and Tulane, <laughs> whatever it is. I, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I follow Southern Miss on Twitter, and they, they have made a big deal about the – Battle of the Bell or whatever they're calling it. So, But, no, I, I greatly appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can find your work and find your Twitter. Um, because, by the way, you're a Twitter legend. Like, you're absolutely hilarious on Twitter. So, <laughs> I've learned from the best. My best friend, Jessica Kleinschmidt, has taught me volumes about Twitter, so I owe it all to her. But um, my handle is M-O-M-M, E-M-I-L-N-E-M, not to be confused with Eminem which a lot of people do, and they're very disappointed, so I apologize. But, um, and I write for uh, a couple of websites. Mainly right now, I'm working for thesportsfanjournal.com, Yard Barker, you can always find my stuff there, and sometimes MSN Sports uh, will have some of my articles make it up there. So any of those places. Emily, thank you so much. Happy New Year. To- Safe travels to Dallas, by the way. Thank you. Definitely, uh, I'm going to do my best to navigate through Southern Miss fans, so we'll <laughs> see if I make it back alive. I hear you. have been listening to The Mitch Davis Show. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. I want to thank our special guest, Emily Van Buskirk, for coming on the podcast today to talk a little college football with us. This episode was brought to you by S.Y. Wilson and Historic Arlington Depot Square. So be sure you go by S.Y. Wilson and tell them that Mitch Davis sent you and they'll hook you up with anything you could possibly need from PFG to collegiate to bait and tackle. S.Y. Wilson has it all on the historic Arlington Depot Square. You can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Like the Facebook page at The Mitch Davis Show. Find all of my work at NoHuddleSports.com or TigerSportsReport.com. I want to thank Emily again for coming on the podcast, and I will catch y'all on the flip side.